we are in a pretty challenging sort of situation in terms of the number of planetary challenges that we're facing with climate change, with biodiversity loss and with increasing inequality and so forth. And those challenges call for innovations on a scale that we haven't seen before. And, and part of that is imagination, you know, really activating the human imagination to think about some of these challenges in ways that we haven't to date. In this episode of Think Sustainability, you'll hear how three fashion designers are using imagination and innovation to design sustainably. We'll discuss how we can design differently. So if I had more time to sort of invest in redesigning some of the garments, I could quite drastically reduce some of the waste. Learn differently. You can like scan and get the measurements of people's bodies, um, transfer that into 3D modeling softwares. And behave differently. There is going to be a virtual fitting room that we jump into and we can shop online. The fast fashion industry is synonymous with textile waste. Australia is the second highest consumer of textiles per person in the world, right after the United States. Australians purchase 27 kilograms of textiles each year and then discard 23. But in this episode, we are looking at ways to reduce waste within the design and manufacturing process. How are designers using digital technology to disrupt and revolutionise the fashion industry? You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Marlene Even. My name is Timo Rissinen and I am an Associate Professor in Fashion and Textiles at UTS or the University of Technology, Sydney. Timo's expertise is in zero-waste fashion. He is the director of the UTS Fashion and Textile course and a former associate professor of fashion design and sustainability at Parsons School of Design in New York. How can we reduce textile waste? Let's go back to the drawing board when the fabric is rolled out in the first place. To reduce textile waste, sustainable fashion designers use a practice known as zero-waste pattern cutting. So zero-waste fashion design and zero-waste pattern cutting uh, refers to a design practice um, that, for one, has pattern cutting, so the actual making of the two-dimensional pattern as part of the design process, which in conventional fashion design it's not. They're sort of quite often two very separate processes. Um, In zero-waste fashion design they need to be integrated. And the goal is to eliminate the amount, the, the fabric waste that is created when a garment is cut out. So the most common estimate for that amount of wastage is about 15%. So 15% of the fabric used to make a garment is actually uh, wasted at the cutting out stage because the, the garment and the patterns of the garment haven't been designed to use all of the fabric. 15% might not sound like a huge amount, but... You know, by some estimates, we're now making 150 billion garments per year. So it's actually a lot of fabric that is wasted at that stage. He explains that one factor to this waste is that designers don't always know beforehand the dimension of the fabric that they are working with. Because fabrics come in different widths. 
And usually the designer doesn't even know what the width of the fabric is. Um, and I think we should, as designers, know the space within which we're designing and, and design within that smartly. So even if you can get from 15% to 5%, that's already a massive difference if you're making a thousand garments of that particular style. Timo says he's seen firsthand the waste that can be produced during the pattern cutting stage, both while working for other companies as well as within his own. He owned a menswear label from 2001 to 2004 called Us Versus You. I would say at least some of the things that I did were quite innovative in terms of the cut of the garment, but I also then saw firsthand the waste and and you know, because I also managed the, the the financial aspect of the business, I knew exactly in monetary terms what was ending up on, on the on the cutting room floor. So uh, there was that concern too. From a you know very young age, um, I was quite wary of what was going on. I also had my grandmother, my nonna, who was Italian, worked in a factory here in Melbourne. This is Nat Stratos. She's been working in the fashion and textile industry for 23 years. But her experience of the fashion industry started at an early age, when she spent time with her grandmother in a Melbourne factory. She was a, um, a presser for a big fashion company or local fashion company and I used to see the waste the cutting on the floor and I used to as a sort of something I'd help out my grandmother my nonna with hanging the garments after she pressed them and hanging them up on hangers and as a reward I would actually get scraps and I would make Barbie doll and doll outfits with the scraps from the factory floor so very wary from a young age there was a lot of waste I currently work as a design facilitator and engage and train stakeholders in circular design um, with the focus on circular economy, closed loop take backs and product stewardship. Before a garment makes its way to the runway or your local outlet store, the designer creates a sample. There's huge amounts of sampling that actually go into a garment. So for every one garment that's designed in store, you might have, you know, up to 100 samples, prototypes and pre-production samples. And that was very much my experience having worked in um, Australian industry. One day, Nat approached Lena Merrin, a 3D designer and trainer, with a question. I want to eliminate waste. How can we work together in, in the 3D space to try and eliminate that waste? Together, Lena and Nat founded a startup company called 3D and Circular Design, with the aim to eliminate textile waste in the front end of the design process. They took on a challenge to create a denim jacket with zero textile waste. So how could they make a jacket with not a single scrap left on the factory floor? We were adamant that we weren't going to sample at all right to the end and we're hoping and crossing our fingers that you know it was going to work so through this process using dead stock fabric i designed a, a jacket and lena uh, created a digital sample that fitted on the body and we were able to kind of uh, maneuver it this particular jacket i wanted it to be it had to be reversible and multifunctional so it actually we were able to make it 
reversible and also it could so that could be worn in four different ways and that was upside down and inside out. To create this digital sample, they used a 3D pattern-making software. The duo named the design the Intervention Jacket. I think that was the, the main goal of the fabric, to actually show how 3D can actually intervene and we can go straight to production without having to go through that you know, sampling process as such. She describes this as intervening in the traditional linear system of sampling to move closer towards a circular model. They've noticed a growing interest in businesses wanting to incorporate 3D design. And look, this is new and it's fresh and, you know, we, we have many challenges and a lot of that is trying to fit this new way of designing into business models, particularly in the bigger organisations that we're talking to. Um, they're all everyone's interested uh, we've got lo- we've had lots and lots of um, you know, people wanting to start this process because we are seeing now overseas that it is being utilized a lot and proof of that is that Lena actually works at RMIT uh, teaching 3d design at the moment so she's just started there also now we've got you know the universities are actually starting to go oh we need to start teaching this One student using this 3D design technology is Annie Tran. Annie is studying her fourth year doing honours in design at the University of Technology, Sydney. Um, I've just picked it up this year. We're not really having it in classes yet, but it's, yeah, it's become like my go-to way of testing out different ideas, visualising them and being able to yeah, just get motivated into the design process and making. Um, so the 3D pattern making software that I'm using is Clo3D. It's a combination of pattern making software and also you can test and drape the clothing, the 3D clothing that you made online on an avatar. It's a great way for me to test and um, just put together my ideas very quickly. Um, without having to invest that much material and also space, which is kind of limited, especially, yeah, in lockdown. The digitisation of fashion design is making waves across the industry, from 3D design software to digital runways and showrooms. Fashion brands such as Hugo Boss and Danish label Villa have both recently launched collections entirely produced using 3D software. Annie says the software is a great addition to traditional pattern making and design. Because normally when I pattern make or um, drape anything in real life, I'm using metres and metres of fabric and scraps, um, obviously accumulate from that. And with Clo3D, it's been able to drastically reduce the amount of waste that I've been making. It's definitely helped as well like with time and deadlines because, um, yeah, you don't really have that long, especially when you have assessments and you want to test a bunch of ideas in a short amount of time. It's perfect for that. We all have the experience of trying to find the right size clothing. 
under the fluorescent lighting, or mouse poised over the size chart. One brand size 14 is another brand size 16, and the hunt for the perfect fit continues. But what if there is another way? Either a person could, could just input their measurements, whatever their measurements are, or they could scan themselves. And there are body scanning um, apps now for phones even. And so I suspect that that will be a much more common practice in, even, even within the next decade of, of a customer actually just scanning themselves. And then, you know, maybe through AI, um, there's ways to figure out what the best fittings best fitting offerings out there are. How could custom fitting and technology such as body scanning be used in the future to make fashion more sustainable, but also inclusive? You know, if used sort of intelligently, I think it's a technology that can actually cater to the real diversity of human bodies um, because the systems that we have in place for that now whilst they're very well-meaning and, and they're certainly designed for efficiency, and I'm talking about the kind of systems of, of um, measuring human bodies and then arriving at these different sizing systems, um, which in many ways do cater for a large group of the population, but they also always leave some people out. One of the benefits of body scanning technology is to make fashion accessible. Many of the body measurement tables um, or charts, they, they always refer to a standing person, even though it's not actually said out loud, but the, the measurements always refer to a standing person. And, and if you're designing with and for someone who's in a wheelchair, and I, I really do think that it should be designing with and not just for. But um, the fact that somebody's sitting, it all already changes certain measurements, like it, it shortens... Um, the front of the torso, it lengthens the back of the torso. And so it immediately has those kinds of implications. And body scanning has capacity to, uh, if it's directed in, a, in, in the right way, it has the capacity to count for those kinds of differences and, and diversity. Creating tailored fashion, including adaptive fashion, is part of a broader movement to create clothes that fit everyone. Our industry in fashion and textiles hasn't been that good at at um, intentionally including everyone. Uh, we have been often unintentionally excluding uh, groups of people that we should not be excluding. And and um, and there is now actual research coming out. Um, in fact, I have a paper on my desk um, that I need to read about the use of body scanning and combined with um, with uh, digital pattern cutting and sort of three-dimensional design software working together to cater for people whose bodies might not be represented in the kind of traditional sizing systems um, that we have. Body scanning and customised clothing has the potential to reduce textile waste. As online sales increase globally, so do the return rates. A global trend of bracketing is causing concerns economically and environmentally. Bracketing is a common online shopping practice. It's when you buy the same item in various colours or sizes with the intent to keep the one that fits 
and return the rest. The issue with this practice is that 30% of all purchases returned to stores are never sold, according to the Australasian Circular Textile Association. In the United States, 5 billion pounds of waste from returns are sent to landfill each year alone. Beyond the textile waste, the practice of bracketing also contributes to the carbon footprint because of the additional transportation. In the US, that equates to 15 million metric tons of CO2 emitted from the transportation of returns. That's according to a report by technology company Optoro. So could body scanning reduce return rates and waste? There have been studies about why people get rid of things um, before they're actually worn out. And of course, there's many different reasons, including fashionability and so forth. But, but bad fit, like unsatisfying fit, does contribute to decisions about getting rid of things. And, and, and that's where I do think mass customization can be one solution to, um, to offer more satisfying fit. Um, it's not going to solve all of the problems by any means, but like I've said before, we need lots and lots and lots of different solutions because the problems are also really complex and there are many of them. And I, I get excited about the notion of mass customization because it, it, it can also, it's not just about a more satisfying garment, but it's also about a different kind of relationship between um, the customer or the wearer and, and the business. I really like that because I think it adds the value to the clothes as well because it's, this is made for me. Um, yeah. And it, it really changes the mindset from people have to fit into the clothes rather than the clothes fit the people. Yeah, and it's, it, it should be about fitting the clothes to the person because there's, at, at worst, the impact is, um, you know, all kinds of issues around body image. As a society, we went from purchasing tailored clothes to ready-made clothes. Some academics suggest the sizing system began gaining traction in the 1800s to create ready-made army uniform for men. In the late 1950s, an American standardised sizing system was created for women's clothing, with the specific measurements for each size. Slate magazine states the system went from being a legally required standard for the pattern-making industry to becoming voluntary by 1970. Clothing brands started to define sizing differently and vanity sizing, also known as size inflation, began. The practice of assigning smaller sizes to clothing then is really the case. A size 14 suddenly becomes a size 12, with the intention to increase sales. And also I think the, the psychology of sizing systems is, um, at worst, can be very damaging as well, um, where, where we become obsessed with being a particular size when, um, in fact, those sizing systems are completely made up and, um, and, and they, they were created in order to facilitate the mass manufacturing of garments, but they've then sort of taken on this other role of, of um, uh, that's connected to things like 
weight loss and, and, and so forth by often in a very damaging way, particularly psych- like psychologically damaging way. And, and, um, and I, you know, this may sound utopian, but I would love it if, if, you know, in some decades from now, we didn't have those sizing systems anymore um, or that we at least rethought them completely and accounted for, for the diversity Both Timo Rissanen and Nat Stratos are fashion designers and researchers. Both argue that collaboration between the two is crucial. Nat says there's a need for industries to jump in. Realistically, for a lot of these organisations, in the next five years, um, they're going to have to uh, adapt circular print design principles they're going to have to adapt new technology, otherwise they're just not going to be competitive in the international market or in the, in the local market. There's definitely space and opportunities for academia and industry to work together in, in new ways that we might not have worked in before and ask different kinds of questions, new kinds of questions of each other. And certainly that's what I would like to be doing over coming years, is working with industry on on some of the challenges of our time, some of which are sort of technical, dealing with a particular type of waste through a technology solution, for example, or through a technical solution is a kind of a technical approach. Then there's the kind of systemic challenges, which can be often trickier. But even in those, we need to be working together and and probably also work with policymakers and and, um, and other stakeholders. What could the future hold for fashion designers? University student Annie Tran believes the future of fashion is online, especially with the impact of COVID-19 on the industry. With the global restrictions and we haven't been able to travel uh, the only way we've been able to see people's work is like online, through digital platforms, social media. And I feel like with a virtual type of collection, you can definitely make animations and catwalks digitally and also that be open access and all over the world. So yeah, I definitely see the future of fashion, sustainable fashion, especially online. So as someone who teaches designers about sustainable fashion, when your students or more broadly future designers in general are in front of the drawing board or probably in front of their laptop, what do you hope will be going through their minds when they design something new? I would hope that they are primarily able to concentrate on uh, just bringing joy and and pleasure into the world and and behind that dream of mine is uh, a goal and it's a very concrete goal that all of the kind of damaging systems that we currently have um, have been designed out because i don't think it's a good use of any of our time to spend a lot of time making decisions like do i choose that fabric or this fabric because that one is so much more damaging but then this one is so much more expensive and and all of that like like anything that is causing damage like anything that is causing harm to life be it human life or non-human life should be designed out completely 
same goes for us as people when we're in a in a store, for example, making choices. Like the fact that as individuals, we currently have to make choices between something made by slave labor and something not made by slave labor and, and endless other decisions. That's not the kind of world that I want to uh, be perpetuating. We need to design out all of that. We need to design out injustice. We need to design out anything causing damage to life. And so what I want that to then accomplish is a space where we can actually just focus on the really the, the creation of beauty in the world. And I get that beauty is incredibly subjective and so it should be. We should have endless expressions of beauty. We should have debates about what's beautiful. But we shouldn't have to spend so much energy on just trying to not do bad things. Those bad things, we can actually design them out of the system and we should be. And the sooner the better. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for your company.